Hello, my name is Emmanuel Rukunas. I am a professor of international law and a member of the Academy of Athens, Greece. I have been uh, for a very long time uh, in, around here in the United Nations, a member of the International Law Commission, a member of uh, the Committee on the Elimination of All uh, Racial Discriminations, and uh, in many other uh, committees of the international organization. Uh, the subject of uh, this lecture is a complicated one, and uh, it is that of successive, parallel, and contradictory commitments in international law. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the ever-growing web of international commitments of states is a healthy sign. It proves that every day the international community is abundantly enriched with norms and procedures aiming to guarantee peace and cooperation among its members. In a widely decentralized international system, it is useful to call for awareness so as to ensure the harmonious relationship between norms in the complex marketplace of legally binding bilateral and uh, multilateral uh, treaty obligations and rights, customary international law, and non-legally bind norm, binding norms, the so-called political commitments uh, and soft law as uh, well. The first assumption is that all states have a good knowledge of their international obligations to avoid discrepancies and uh, to the second that states when entering international commitments uh, are aware of the requirement that they shall not affect or are not intended to affect third parties. In the overall dynamic operation of norms and procedures, issues of successive parallel as well as contradictory commitments uh, are usually assessed in light of some relevant principles of international law, mostly provided uh, for in Article 30 of the 1969 Vienna Convention on the Law of Treaties. Similar is Article 30 of the uh, 1986 Convention on the Law of Treaties between states and international organizations or between international organizations. Save for some specific exceptions, namely the supremacy of the United Nations Charter under Article 103 and peremptory norms of international law, what we call the use Cogens, the labyrinth of commitments is taken at first instance in an horizontal uh, basis. They are successive, that means consecutive in time, uh, but also parallel in the sense that they coexist. And in exceptional cases, they might be contradictory where the application of one commitment implies violation of another one. We have here chosen the term commitments instead of that of obligations to draw attention to uh, the operation of both legally binding and non-legally binding uh, obligations in international relations. The term engagement, engagement, uh, figured in the 1919 covenant of the League of Nations in this wider sense, binding and non-binding legally uh, obligations. On the other hand, the concept of treaty is defined, as we all know, by the aforesaid 1969 Vienna Convention on the Law of Treaties, but there is room for a wider interpretation, as the International Court of Justice held in the 1978 EGNC Continental Shelf case in the 1995 Qatar-Bahrain case. As for the expression, same subject matter that figures in Article 30 of the Vienna Convention uh, of two or more treaties, this expression is to be interpreted restrictively. It does not extend to situations where a treaty of general character covers indirectly a matter regulated by a particular provision of an earlier treaty. The term conflict does not figure in Article 30 of the 1969 Vienna Convention. It was included in early drafts, but the idea prevailed that the provisions to be adopted were to deal with all situations of rules on the same subject matter and not only with cases of conflict. 
differences can exist between texts, and they do exist, but without leading to contradiction. Treaties are incompatible when the application, as we already said, treaties are incompatible when the application of one of them makes impossible the simultaneous execution of the other. Uh, simply diverging uh, provisions do not require recourse to Article 30 of the Vienna Convention for interpretation. In point of fact, maintenance in force of the provisions of the early treaty might be justified by circumstances or by the intention of the parties. In essence, ladies and gentlemen, Article 30 of the Vienna Convention enunci enunciates the following. First, where a treaty specifies that it is subject to or that is not to be considered incompatible with another earlier or later treaty, the provisions of the other treaty are prevailing. At this point, we should say that it is of the utmost importance that the drafters of treaties, in particular multilateral treaties, take care to introduce in the text clear provisions dealing with the relationship with other treaties. This is not easy because in the negotiation most delegates do not, uh, are not ready to do so as either they have no clear idea of the other obligations, international obligations of their country, or they cannot foresee the impact the new treaty could have on their own other obligations. Nevertheless, it is recommended that negotiators should incorporate in the instruments they elaborate the so-called conflict clauses on the relationship with any other treaty earlier or later. This is one. Two, where all the states parties to the earlier treaty in force are also parties to the later treaty, the earlier apply, applies only to the extent that its provisions are not incompatible with those of the later treaty. This provision stems from the well-known maxim of Roman law, lex posterior derogat legi priori. The later treaty supersedes the earlier one. Uh, this is easy to say and is easy, easily applicable in bilateral, not so easily applicable in between multilateral treaties. In order to secure the application, some appropriate techniques are utilized either by maintaining the earlier treaty provisions for a transitional period or by inviting the states parties to the subsequent uh, treaty to denounce the early one. Examples. The 1963 Convention on Consular Relations provides in Article 73, Paragraph 2, that other treaties are maintained but new ones are concluded only in so far as they confirm or supplement, extend, or amplify the provisions of the 1963 Convention on Consular Relations. Another example, Article 311, uh, Paragraph 6 of the 1982 United Nations Convention of the Law of the Sea, declares that the parties agreed on the basic principle of the common heritage of mankind for the seabed, of the area of the seabed, and adds, that they shall not be party to any agreement in derogation thereof. When you ask diplomats, how about the subsequent 1994 implementation agreement concerning the seabed, which entirely modified the regime of the area provided for by the 1982 uh, United Nations Convention of the Law of the Sea, they answer in smiling that if everything in the system has been changed by the new agreement, nevertheless the principle is there. Three, Article 30 of the 1969 Vienna Convention establishes an order of priority between valid and applicable norms. The solutions contained in this article are residual, except for expressly reserved priority, as we already said, the parties can decide otherwise. The provision does not enter the difficult questions of validity and responsibility uh, for violation of earlier treaties. It is true that three distinguished special rapporteurs of the, of the International Law Commission uh, had divergent opinions in this matter. And uh, finally, the Commission decided to separate the questions of validity and or 
of responsibility from the scope of Article 30. In principle, states bound by a legal obligation are not precluded from adhering in a contradictory norm or being bound by two contradictory norms. Uh, but they have to choose which of them, uh, the earlier or the later, will apply. In so doing, they entail their international responsibility toward third parties. The basic rule, indeed, is that in all new commitments, rights of third states shall be preserved. This requirement stems from the indisputable rules both from, again, from Roman law, Pacta Sunt Servanda, on the one hand, and Pacta Tertis, Nec Nocent, Nec Prozot. But the finding that a state bound by a legal obligation has broken its obligations by participating in another treaty is a prerequisite for the attribution of responsibility. Even if Article 30, Paragraph 2 declares that in principle the relations between state A and the state's parties to the other treaties are not affected. The International Law Commission did not follow proposals to distinguish for the sake of validity and responsibility treaties containing integral or interdependent obligations. Hence, Article 30 addresses all kinds of treaties and where appropriate the provisions of Articles 40 Amendment of multilateral treaties. 41, uh, agreement to modify multilateral treaties between certain of the parties only. 59, termination or suspension of the operation of treaties. And 60, termination or suspension of a treaty as a consequence of its breach uh, of the 1969 Vienna Convention on the Law of Treaties now are considered as part of customary international law. Uh, and may also be applicable. And Article 18, the obligation not to defeat the object and purpose of a treaty prior to its entry into force, may also be taken into account in the interpretation of provisions that seem to be contradictory. Now, four, priorities have to, to be explicitly stated in the text, as we already said. If not, Article 30, Paragraph 3 enters in line. If the parties to both treaties are the same, because if they, they are not the same, we uh, said that the, the principle is pacta tertis nec nocent nec prosum. A preliminary inquiry into the intent of the parties to replace or to suspend the application of the earlier treaty by the later one is necessary. If no intention to replace, to modify or suspend the treaty appears, then the solution is parallel application. Parallel application and the Permanent Court of International Justice adopted this solution already in the 1924 Mavromatis case. Now, what is the date to be taken into account for the determination of priorities? Uh, not the date, the date of entry into force, but that of the adoption of the treaty. Although the rights and obligations of the parties become effective, as we all know, from the date of the entry into force of each treaty. But in order to see the priorities, you have to go back to the adoption. Fifth, Article 30 should not be understood as drifting away from the organic function of the law and thus offering an automatic method of solution of problems of interpretation and application of successive treaties and by extension of successive legal norms. The issue at stake the issues at stake are addressed by interpretation. And Articles 31, 33 of the 1969 Vienna Convention are generally accepted, again, as offering adequate tool to this effect and as constituting rules of customary international law. In principle, the object of a treaty is interpreted as a static notion, while the purpose is a dynamic one. But not every provision of a treaty enters the realm of the object and the purpose, whether single or multiple. It is worth noting that international courts and tribunals since the 1928 Island of Palmans case down to the 1978 uh, continental shelf of the Aegean Sea case interpret concepts 
including in former treaties, on the basis of the temporal criterion of the evolution of the, of the meaning of these concepts by subsequent custom or general principles of law. In, 19, in 2006, a study group of the International Law Commission has examined the difficulties arising from the fragmentation, diversification, and expansion of international law and adopted a number of conclusions. The group invoked the operation of the maxims of precedence of special over general rules and of priority in time stressed the importance of the rules of interpretation laid down by the Vienna Convention and dealt with questions of conflict and hierarchy of norms. The group drew also attention on questions of special self-contended regimes. Special regimes exist in every field uh, of social behavior. But the study mixed up, to my opinion, this notion with that of the so-called self-contended regimes. The expression has been utilized once by the International Court of Justice in the 1980 United States Diplomatic and Consular Staff in Tehran case, and, the and, the and by the International Law Commission as well. Uh, but this expression is not clearly defined, to my opinion, and does not seem to acquire the general acceptance. Indeed, a self-contended regime, as any regime, is not impermeable from the rules of general international law and cannot operate independently from the international system. The International Court of Justice made a remark in that sense in the 2003 oil platforms case. But special regimes sometimes require appropriate methods for the application of the rules. Hence, in the field of human rights, since long ago, we suggested that the interpreter of a rule, in presence of diverging texts equally applicable to the parties, should prefer the provision the most favorable to the persons concerned, irrespective if the provision uh, is found in a lex posterior or in a lex prior. Successive and parallel treaties between the same parties, in particular bilateral treaties, do not create serious problems. They can coexist. And in case of contradiction, the earlier treaty yields. It is with multilateral treaties that issues may arise. One category of multilateral treaties, those aiming at the codification of international law, have drawn the attention of the Institute of International Law during its 1995 session in Lisbon. After thorough consideration, the Institute adopted a resolution on problems arising from a succession of codification conventions on a particular subject. The resolution states that a codification convention means any multilateral convention containing provisions intended to codify or progressively to develop rules of general international law. This is the definition of a codification convention given by the Institute. And obviously, as in all situations of successive parallel or contradictory norms, the solution addresses provisions and not necessarily the totality of a codification uh, convention. Among the interesting conclusions of the Institute, the following two are of importance for our analysis. First, according to conclusion nine, where the object and purpose of a later codification convention are to regulate in greater detail a matter or uh, matters already regulated by an earlier codification convention, and where two states are parties to both conventions, there may be room for the interpretation and application of the two conventions to apply the distinction between leg specialis and leg generalis. In appropriate cases, and unless the later convention provides otherwise, where there is incompatibility between the provisions of the two conventions, the lex specialis should prevail even uh, between codification conventions. 
The above conclusion of the Institute invites to the remark that the codification convention enunciates rules of general radiance and its interpretation should be not regard only parties who are the same in the two codification uh, conventions. Here enters the concept of customary international law. The second uh, remark uh, uh, stemming from uh, this uh, uh, resolution of the Institute of International Law is in conclusion 12, the resolution states that the repetition in two or more codification conventions of the substance of the same norm might be, may, might be uh, important for the establishment of the existence of that norm as a customary rule of general international law, as we already said. And in the elaboration of instruments dealing with the same subject matter, the normal flow of legal formulations requires the preference that preference is given to agreed language instead of new language unless a change is necessary. The most important codification of the last decades is that of the law of the sea. The carefully drafted Article 311 of the 1982 United Nations Convention of the Law of the Sea follows in principle the provisions of Article 30 of the Vienna Convention and also takes into account the comprehensive character of the Convention and the need for other treaties in force to adapt, to adapt with the confirmed or emerging new regime of the oceans. This is in a dynamic ap approach of the idea of codifying international law. As for the international humanitarian law, and notwithstanding the operation of, again, the operation of custom, custom is present in every codification convention. The chain of conventions in international humanitarian law since 1906 presents the following features. Convention of 1906, wounded and sick. 1907, laws and customs of war. 1929, sick and wounded and prisoners of war. 1949, except for that, uh, for the Convention concerning the civilians, that is supplementary to earlier provisions. All of them contain clauses of replacement between the parties of earlier treaties of the same subject matter. But the two 1977 additional protocols to the 1949 Geneva Conventions presuppose that the parties to them are also parties in the 1949 Convention and supplement the former. The additional protocols are supplemented. Uh, the, uh, the, 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 the chain of the other conventions eliminates uh, earlier conventions. Some other examples outside the question of codification. The 2001 UNESCO Convention on the Protection of Underwater, of underwater Cultural Heritage, on the one hand, subordinates its provisions to the rules of the 1982 United Nations Conventions of the Law of the Sea, and on the other hand, reserves certain, under certain conditions, the application of the law of salvage and the law of findings. And the Convention against, this is significant, the Convention against Marine Pollution, the MARPOL, declares that is, it is without prejudice even towards a treaty that was not yet concluded. This is Article 9, Paragraph 2 of MARPOL. Article 27 of the 1996 Oviedo Convention on the Protection of Human Rights in the Field of Biomedicine authorizes states parties to grant a wider pre pre measure of protection. It authorizes parties to grant a wider measure of protection to individuals with regard to the application of biology and medicine. While Article 26 permits under clearly defined conditions derogation, derogation of rights and protective provisions of this convention. On the contrary, the 1988, Additional protocol to that convention excludes any derogation to the rule of prohibition of cloning of human beings. The precedence of this conventional obligation covers any, any 
domestic or international measures or obligations. After a lengthy debate in the, another example, after a lengthy debate in the, uh, at the International Law Commission, the 1997 Convention on the Law of Non-Navigational Users of International Water Courses addresses in its frontal Article 3 a number of issues relating to other agreements. And what it does, it says to the states parties, you respect your obligation under other treaties. But if the provisions of this convention are of particular importance, you have to negotiate the change of your other obligations. Finally, the 2003 African Convention on the Conservation of Nature and Natural Resources, in Article 34, declares, declares that between parties in the Convention and, previous, and a previous 1986 Algiers Convention, only the former applies, and the text and then and the next article provides that the convention does not affect the rights and obligations of any party deriving from other existing uh, international treaties so the earlier treaties apply according to the 2003 convention notwithstanding the above examples we draw we should now draw now attention to the fact that the reference to other instruments and provision, provisions is not frequent practice. This is due to many factors, absence of familiarity with what else is applicable, incertitude as to the correspondent of, uh, correspondence of rules, and also prestige of those who prepare a later treaty towards other obligations. Now the question of higher law. The United Nations Charter, including rules and procedure, always prevail. And the International Court of Justice, from the 1986 military and paramilitary activities in and against Nicaragua to the 1998 Lockerbie cases, and the Security Council, in many instances, have repeatedly stressed that priority. On the other hand, as we know, the concept of use cogens is embodied, as embodied in Article 53 of the 19, uh, 1969 Vienna Convention on the Law of Treaties, is now widely, widely considered applicable to the whole spectrum of international law. It implies that there are rules of higher law from which no derogation is permitted unless they are modified by rules of the same value. But there is no agreement on the content of Euskogens. Yet, the International Court of Justice has stressed the normative force of the principle of self-determination. In the 1975 Western Sahara opinion and the 1995 East Timor case, although the court was not competent to apply the principle. And uh, I see here, and, and I have here uh, noted, many cases in which uh, the, uh, the, the, the norm of peremptory no, uh, the, the peremptory norm of Hughes Coggins comes again and again. And I would uh, say oh, we are talking about the acts of aggression, slavery, prohibition of aggression, slavery and slave trade, genocide, racial discrimination and apartheid, torture, and the basic uh, rules of international uh, humanitarian law. It is useful to remind this uh, uh, specific uh, situation in which uh, the higher law uh, eliminates any agreement contrary uh, to this law. Now, the relationship between treaty and custom. Much has been said during the last decades on the interaction between treaty and custom uh, in international law. <coughs> as far as our discussion is concerned, it is necessary to remind that the International Court of Justice, since the 1986 Nicaragua case, clarified 
that treaty and custom form two distinct and equal sources of the law. There is no a priori hierarchy between them. Treaty and custom have a separate existence, and while it is quite difficult to determine the precise temporal moment of their meeting point, the one can be applied instead of the other, supplement each other's rules, but also overlap or address different situations. Finally, custom can be a provisional visitor in a treaty and later detach itself from it by modifying the provisions of the treaty. Fixation of the meeting of the, of the meeting of treaty and custom is one thing. Another is the parallel coexistence of the two sources of the law. Since they can, without necessarily merging, have a parallel existence and application, according to the judgment of the International Court of Justice in the 1986 Nicaragua case, the source that fits better a situation under consideration is to prefer. In a more general way, as the court said, uh, in principle, treaty rules are lex specialis uh, towards customary rules. This same court held, however, that in presence of two norms, general and special, the former is under central circumstances relevant for the determination of the applicability of the special one, the right to life, in relation to the law of armed conflict. The Institute of International Law indicates that although there is no a priori hierarchy between treaty and custom, in the application of international law relevant norms derived from, from a treaty, these norms will prevail between the parties over norm, norms deriving from customary law. This can be explained by the fact either that the particular precedes the general or that in principle treaty provisions are more precise and express more clearly the will of the parties. But everything is situation dependent. Hence, although the 1958 Convention of the Law of the Sea implicitly excluded, excluded the creation of other regimes, the parties to that Convention of 1958, a, a, a codification convention, the parties to that convention, 20 years later, established, established exclusive economic zones basic, based on an, on an ongoing customary rule. Another example is the voting in the Security Council, where it is accepted as custom that notwithstanding the explicit requirement of Article 27 of the Charter for an affirmative vote by the permanent members, resolutions now can also be adopted with the abstention of permanent members. The International Court of Justice in the 1997 Gapchikovo-Nagimaros case interpreted treaty obligations on the basis of the subsequent evolution of the law and took as evidence that of that evolution a treaty adopted by the United Nations General Assembly but not in force. Now, some further judicial uh, approaches. Sometimes a tribunal or a quasi-judicial organ confirms the meaning of a substantial provision it applies by referring to identical or similar provisions binding upon the parties to the litigation. But there are, these are other obligations coming from other treaties and other instruments. In the first category, one can find examples in the case law of the European Court of Human Rights, where I, I cite as an example uh, in uh, the 1996 Agdivar and others case, the court decided that during an armed conflict of a non-international character, application of Article 3 of the European Convention implies that the state also abides by the rules of general international humanitarian law. The same court in 2004, in the case MC, examined relevant domestic and international law and practice for the determination that, its own determination, that rape and sexual abuse constitute torture within the framework 
of the European Convention. In order to say that Article 3 includes uh, torture in the case of rape, it referred to other international instruments in order to reinforce its own position. This is good news. The Inter-American Commission on Human Rights in the 1996 Raquel Marti de Mella case used the, met the method provided by provided for by Article 31, Paragraph 3 of the 1969 Vienna Convention, inv inviting the interpreter to use all the relevant rules applicable to the relations between the parties, and adopted an extensive interpretation of Article 5 of its own convention by referring to the 1949 Fourth Geneva Convention on Humanitarian Law, the Additional Protocol 1 to this convention, the 1977 Additional Protocol, and to the Statute of the International Criminal Court. You see that international courts and tribunals navigate into other binding international norms in order to uh, uh, interpret their own, the provisions they are uh, invited to apply. But there are also examples in which an international organ sets aside a certain provision under consideration and applies directly the rules of international law that it considers fit better the case, for the case. Thus, in uh, the 1997 Tablada case, the Inter-American Commission went beyond the American Convention itself, and it was covered by an opinion of the Inter-American Court of Justice, uh, in that sense, and applied directly Article 3, common to the 1949 Four Geneva Conventions, with the understanding that Article 3 forms part of general international law. In other cases, international organs, in order to illustrate the general assembly, acceptance of a rule, and to widen the scope of the provision they are called to apply, refer to instruments not necessarily binding, even, even not necessarily binding upon the parties. In examining a case, a tribunal may afford argument consisting of a variety of norms uh, that uh, are not uh, even part of the Lex Specialis. In the 1996 case on the legality of nuclear weapons, the International Court of Justice was in invited to examine the legality under international law of the production, stockpiling, threat or use of nuclear weapons from many angles extending to environmental law, the law of international protection of civil and political rights, humanitarian law, etc. As Dame Rosaline Higgins, the current president has pointed out the court being faced with a wide range of arguments confined itself to the heart of the matter and decided on the existence or the non-existence of rules relevant to the question of legality as addressed to it by the United Nations General Assembly. You see this, the two faces of the coin. The fixing of the relationship between general international law and the specific uh, provision is a difficult task. Sometimes general international law, in particular when it embodies rules erga omnes, takes precedence over specific treaty norms uh, without any contradiction. Uh, this has been the case both before the International Court of Justice and the European Court of Human Rights, when they preferred the law of state immunity to a special principle of human rights, namely the right to a court. They prefer the general rule. The structure of the international community, as we know, is widely decentralized. And there are no mechanisms of harmonization uh, of the case law of the growing number of different judicial organs operating now in the international scene. The International Court of Justice in, in the 1986 Nicaragua case, and most recently in the 2006 armed activities, armed activities in the Congo, 
held that rebels to be considered as engaging the state, uh, the responsibility of the state, have to be under the effective control of that state. While the International Criminal Tribunal for ex-Yugoslavia in the 2003 Tadic case satisfied itself by the existence of an overall control. The International Court of Justice said effective control. The Tribunal uh, of ex-Yugoslavia said overall control of that state. In a later stage and under different circumstances, in the 2006 genocide case, the International Court of Justice took the findings, the findings of the International Criminal Tribunal of ex-Yugoslavia as proofs, but it maintained the divergent opinion as to the qualification of acts constituting the critical degree of control for the qualification of state responsibility uh, separated from those concerning individual responsibility uh, dealt with by the International Tribunal of Ex-Yugoslavia. You see, the cases in which one tribunal, one court, takes into account some elements from another, but uh, in some other it dis distanciates itself from the findings or from the position of other international uh, judicial organs. It is uh, worth noting that even in the framework of the same dispute settlement, uh, same dispute settlement system, discrepancies are not avoided. Avoided in the 2006 Barbados Tri uh, Trinidad and Tobago maritime delimitation case, an arbitral tribunal under Annex Seven of the 1982 Anclos Convention viewed Article 281 in a manner that conflicted with the position taken on, on the same provision in 2000 in the Southern Bluefin, Bluefin Tin Tuna case by another arbitrary tribunal, again uh, constituted under Annex 7 of the 1982 Convention. Sometimes discrepancies appear between uh, the stand taken by judicial, international, or judicial, and quasi or non-judicial organs on a rule that is embodied either in the same wording or in substance in two or more international legally binding instruments. Example, the International Court of Justice, the Inter-American Court of Human Rights, held different views on whether an individual right is a human right. The same has been noticed in the case law of the European Court of Human Rights Regarding the, human, uh, regarding the positions taken by the Human Rights Committee, and this is mainly due to the different contexts within which, within which each organ operates, maybe also to its composition. But even if you live in a horizontal system, in matters of general international law, other, it is our opinion, other international courts, tribunals, and non-judicial organs can profit for a harmonization with the jurisprudence of the International Court of Justice. Because this is the main judicial organ of the United Nations. Now, the various World Trade Organization quasi-judicial panels of dispute settlement insist on the separation between interstate commerce and other issues. As it also appears from the ongoing Doha negotiation, efforts to link the World Trade Organization with international labor law and further with human rights does not succeed up to now. Even in another context, a characteristic keep away clause can be found in Article 20, Paragraph 2 of the 2005 UNESCO Convention on Protection uh, and the Promotion of the Diversity of cultural expressions. There is, there, is, there is a provision that it was the subject of long and intense debate and uh, separates, uh, separates uh, cultural diversity uh, from world trade.
in the 2001 Mox plant case between the United Kingdom and Ireland, two member states of the European Union, the International Tribunal of the Law of the Sea held that even if other treaties, namely the Convention for the Protection of the Marine Environment in the Northeast Atlantic, the OSPAR Convention, and the European Community Treaty uh, contained rights and obligations similar or identical with the rights and obligations set out by the 1982 United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea, the rights and obligations under those agreements have a separate existence from that of the UN uh, Convention on the Law of the Sea. And the Tribunal of the Law of the Sea, acting under the United Nations Convention, ordered provisional measures and sent to an arbitral tribunal the examination of the substance, as, is, as it is provided for by the UN Convention, sent to an arbitral tribunal the examination of the substance of the du dispute uh, between the two countries. But the United Kingdom and Ireland are member states of the European Union. And what happened? The European Com Commission, acting under the treaty establishing the European Economic Community, the Treaty of Rome, brought the same case before the Court of Justice of the European Communities in Luxembourg. And in 2005, the court de decided, in contrary to what has been said by the International Tribunal of the Law of the Sea, that under the Treaty of Rome, only the Community Court was competent to deal with a specific dispute between two member states of the European Union and applied the relevant community law. Now, let us examine the problem of non-legally binding international commitments. As we said, a commitment can be legally binding. And in that sense, the term was utilized by the International Court of Justice in the 2003 oil platforms case. It can also be non-legally binding or political. We now turn to the second meaning of this term. If we leave aside continuing quarrels on the existence or to the extent, on the extent of the meaning and effect of the concept of soft law, resolutions, codes of conduct, standards and other commitments are, the everyday, are in the everyday practice of all international organs. Furthermore, who can challenge the force of the 1941 Atlantic Declaration of the Allied States or the 1975 Helsinki Final Act on Security and Cooperation in Europe, even if the latter, the Helsinki, uh, as we know, the Helsinki Final Act expressly states that it is not eligible for legislation for registration under Article 102 of the United uh, Nations Charter, that is, that it is not a treaty, but it is not a treaty that had changed the face of the world. As we know, Article 102 provides for the registration of treaties. Among the rare examples of instruments declare, decla declaring by themselves their legally non-binding nature, the 1986 document of the Stockholm Conference on Disarmament provides that the measures adopted are politically binding. This, this is a rare case in which a text says we are politically binding. And the declaration on for I found, found this interesting. I found the declaration on forests of the 1992 Rio de Janeiro United Nations Conference on, Envi on Environment and Development. Uh, this uh, this uh, declaration on forests bears the generous title, Non-Legally Binding Authoritative Statement on Principles for a Global Consensus on the Management, Conservation and Sustainable Development of all types of forests. But it is non-legally binding. As a general remark, we can say that a, in a mature community, a, a mature community does not need hard law 
for every social activity. The pantheon of international normativity is extremely rich and of varying density. Alongside with treaties and custom, non-binding instruments and agreements are adopted by states for political, including domestic and other reasons. They present mobility, reserve the time factor, have been said to be sensible by analogy to the maxim rebus six tantibus, and in case of non-compliance, they do not entail international responsibility for the state. Soft is sometimes a step before the emergence of hard through treaty or custom. In that sense, it can contribute to the appreciation of an ongoing evolution of the law. In other instances, it serves for the coordination of the behavior of states. In practice, soft norms are usually referred to in order to reinforce, widen and widen the scope or obtain evolutionary interpretation of treaty or custom law. Not all illegally binding instruments and agreements contain soft law. Sometimes states invoke the quality of, some law, of soft law for texts that have nothing to do with this uh, conceptual category. In any case, soft cannot, we have to be very clear, soft cannot supersede hard law. Resolutions mostly express shared expectations and many multilateral treaties elaborated within the United Nations were preceded by resolutions of the General Assembly. This was the first step in order to prepare consciousness of the problem. Some, such as the Universal Declaration on Human Rights, are keeping their authority even when they have evolved to treaty law more than 300 treaties on uh, human rights uh, they, they absorbed rules of the international of the of the of the universal declaration but the universal declaration is still alive as such uh, obviously not every resolution contains normally provisions or soft law there are those that confirm legal norms in force and sometimes supplement them as we said uh, fill gaps are helpful for the interpretation of legal rules. In extreme cases, resolutions bear even the character of termites. They try to undermine or to destroy existing legal norms in force, but unless they become treaty or customary law, they have no legal effect. Resolutions cannot go as such before the judge, but the judge while always proceeding infra lege, he utilizes the resolution to strengthen its, his argumentation and to make his decision. The evolution of the place of important resolutions as such before the uh, international courts and tribunals is illustrated by the attitude of the International Court of Justice, reluctant in the 70s, more explicit now, uh, I remind the opinions uh, on Western Sahara, then on Namibia, then on the threat of use uh, of uh, nuclear weapons, and uh, most recently uh, on the legal consequences of a construction of a wall. Another equally important characteristic of the quality of norms stemming from legally non-legally binding uh, instruments, in particular uh, General Assembly resolutions, is that of the creation of supervisory monitoring organs of compliance to treaties by resolutions. Not everyone is ready to acknowledge the operation of soft law as a standard of behavior and as a component of the international community. Argument also concerns the identification of the concept as to the form, soft in a non, on a non-legally binding instrument, that is to say twice soft. You have soft expression of uh, will in a text that is not non-legally binding, but you have also uh, soft in a hard treaty. A treaty itself can contain 
provisions that are not very strict. This is soft and hard. Soft can remain soft until commitments are, are uh, fulfilled by the states. It can also become inert, uh, but also evolve, as we say, in on, in, to treaty and customary international law. In practice, in the preamble, successive resolutions on the same subject matter refer to earlier resolutions with the expressions recalling, having in mind, taking into account, reaffirming, etc. These formulations intend to ensure continuity uh, and uh, harmonized action of the international organ, of member states, and in some inst instances they confirm the parallel coexistence of the relevant resolutions. This is why from time to time we witness harsh fights among negotiators of a draft resolution as for the opportunity to refer to another resolution and to the wording of the reference. In most cases, reference to earlier resolutions is, taken, is taking place as a matter of usual practice and few are the delegates who take pains to refresh their memory what, on what we are talking about by referring to the other resolution. But consistency is always required. Rare are also the examples of resolutions declaring uh, other resolutions obsolete. Very rare. In the years of confrontation between East and West, it happened that during the same session of the General Assembly, the General Assembly was adopting two resolutions, hardly hiding their inconsistency. This, uh, there are examples in the field of human rights, in the field of disarmament at that time, and even economic uh, rights and duties of states. Fluctuation of language is also an issue, and in moments of crisis, the emplacement in the preamble or the operative part of substantial wording sending to other resolutions becomes a matter of controversy and fight uh, among the delegates. Now the distinction between internal and external effects, effects of resolution uh, has its merits as it reminds that the organs of the organization are bound by a resolution, are bound by a resolution, whereas the same instrument is an appeal only to the behavior of the member states. To, to our knowledge, there is no agreed text providing for the interpretation of successive, parallel, all, uh, or contrad contradictory, legally non-binding instruments. It is understood that the resolutions of an international organization have a different functional uh, and uh, cohesive, cohesive role to be taken into account. In a more general fr framework, doctrine has tendency to employ by analogy the maxim of the prevalence of the later instrument, but here the question of participation of states has also to be taken into account in order to say which of the two resolutions, former or uh, later one, uh, applies. This is a, an extremely difficult question. It was not dealt, dealt with by a single instrument of interpretation. Harmonization is also necessary in the work of treaty body organs of civil and political rights, economic and social rights, non-discrimination, rights of the woman and of the child, when they deal with same or similar issues on the basis of the implementation of the treaties they monitor. Efforts are at stake for the coordination of their action in the elaboration of the so-called general comments, as well as for a system of catching all individual communications in Geneva. The non-legally binding instruments cannot stand opposite to treaties and custom and to the norms of general international law. But it happens that a treaty depends on a resolution. This is the case of a resolution of the Security Council providing for the creation of a peacekeeping 
force. Think also to the inter international maritime organizations resolutions that constitute the practical basis for the implementation of the great conventions of uh, international maritime law. Coordination among international organizations at the secretariat level proves very useful for the exchange of views on projects of resolutions and of treaties dealing with issues for which more than one organization uh, are interested. These mechanisms enhance the unity of important normative initiatives and upstream they prevent contradictions and overlaps. Example, the activities of the interagency committee that in matters such as bioethics and genomics brings together the secretariats of the United Nations, its specialized agencies and regional organizations, the Council of Europe and the European Union. Also, another example, in 2006, uh, the Consolidated Maritime Labour uh, Convention proved the effectiveness of cooperation among the secretaries of the, in the face of elaboration of, the, of this comprehensive convention of the secretaries of the International Labour Office and the International Maritime Organization. These two organizations have established an institutional framework uh, that operates very successfully. And uh, there is also an effort for a coordination between the International Labour Office and the World uh, Trade Organization Secretariat. In conclusion, ladies and gentlemen, from all the above, it is evident that international commitments must learn to live together. Thank you.